Welcome to this, the fifth in a series of podcasts, Talking Terminal. I'd hoped, to be honest, to avoid any in-depth discussion about COVID-19, particularly on me, because I thought it was different from a podcast on living with a terminal illness. Unfortunately, I've discovered the two seem to have combined themselves I went to my oncology department at the hospital that treats me and on the Monday I arrived, they were undertaking temperature tests before you could go through into oncology outpatients. Having had both my ears tested for temperature, I was found to have a temperature of 38.1 centigrade and was immediately asked to put on a mask and gloves while some consultations took place. While sitting, I noticed there was a large poster that had been produced with all the potential symptoms to notify staff about, of which temperature was one. A running nose and a cold was a second. Headaches, tiredness, etc. may have been there as well. It was quite a long list, actually, and much longer than a dry cough and a spiky temperature that had been the main symptoms I'd understood COVID-19 presented I was walked down to the COVID-19 screening area where I was met by a delightful nurse waving at the other end of a long corridor and told to go into room 12, which of course I did. She took my temperature again and then said she'd arrange for the screening doctor to come and screen me for screening. The doctor duly arrived And we had a good discussion about my history. In other words, he took my history, gave me a thorough physical examination and then decided that he would screen me for COVID-19. This despite the fact that I have been in quarantine myself in what is known as social isolation for a period of well over two weeks. So my chances of having COVID-19 struck me as very slim indeed. What struck me doesn't always turn out to be accurate, I've discovered during this bizarre talking terminal journey. I could then hear the voice of my consultant oncologist suggesting that I might be admitted to a ward. And I was duly accompanied back up to the oncology suite where I was admitted to a sterile side room, put on a drip and bloods were taken as well. The bloods turned out to demonstrate that I had a deficiency in potassium, probably because I've not been eating a great deal recently. And it was decided to put me on an IV drip overnight, as well as give me some strong IV antibiotics, which all duly occurred. At the end of a rather long night, where I'd been prodded and observed, I met two doctors and they said that my bloods were broadly all right and that it was probably quite reasonable for me to go home with some more antibiotic. Mid-afternoon, I made my gentle escape, having thanked staff for being so kind, and got home and went to bed. I was interrupted from my gentle slumbers within 15 to 20 minutes by the hospital calling me to say they'd got a result from the COVID-19 test and I was positive. This surprised me and surprised the doctor who rang as well. And I'd concluded from all this that I probably caught the virus about two and a half weeks 
prior to going into hospital, just before I self-isolated. I'd been to the hospital two and a half weeks ago to have my round of chemotherapy started. I could have caught it there. I could have caught it anywhere. I'd been careful. I'd been practicing social distancing, but you just never know. I then realised that within four or five days of social isolation, about two weeks ago, just over now, I'd had some really unpleasant symptoms of fatigue, uh, which put me to bed. I'd assumed it was the neutropenic phase of my treatment. More exaggerated than previously, but I'd understood they had cumulative effects. They may do, they may not have done. I just don't know. I also had a runny nose and a cough and a bit of a headache, but nothing dramatic. The one thing I had noticed was that my temperature had been spiking in the 38s and at one time had gone very briefly to 39. So my assumption is that I acquired the COVID-19 virus before I placed myself in self-isolation. The symptoms emerged about four or five days later. They lasted about four or five acute days. And since that point, I'd been recovering, but my temperature was still going up and down. So I think and I hope I've been very lucky and that this virus has not unduly affected me, although it has left me feeling more fatigued than I'm used to even with the chemotherapy regime. I'm struck by the noticeable range of symptoms that seem to abound and that seems to be something we're learning much more about as time goes on. There are, nevertheless, some other issues which really strike me. The first is, despite all the press condemning the government for its lack of grip, particularly on testing, in my experience, and I recognise that my experience is one experience and couldn't be generalised about, but in my experience, things were on track and efficient, certainly at the regional hospital that I attended. There was no sense of panic, there was a real sense of order and great preparation for whatever onslaught was about to occur. The second thing that has really struck me is price hikes, something I've written about previously and am absolutely convinced is occurring. So there's some articles in the UK press about this, indicating there are hikes in fresh food, hygiene products, pharmaceutical products relevant to COVID-19, and it's really difficult to obtain any of the basics, such as paracetamol. Impossible to obtain face masks or latex rubber gloves. And there's a real sense in which the state does not have control, might not have control over testing at the moment, but it certainly has no control over pricing. And normal capitalist market economics are in play with the most wealthy able to gain the most and the least wealthy unable to access any resources. I thought I'd end on a personal note just about the impact that COVID-19 has on me. Not about the physical symptoms, I've talked about those, but the limits that COVID-19 is placing on UK society. And one area of real frustration for me is that people talk a great deal about coming out of this and then being able to resume normal life. What worries me is this is eating into the period where I can live a normal life rather than a rather fading life. And that leaves me very frustrated. It's not about an inability to eat out. It's not about an inability to go to a 
museum or concert, all of those frustrate me a bit. But what really frustrates me is not being able to see family and friends, have physical hugs and talk face to face with people. I've noticed that the use of Zoom is being increased enormously, but what comes with it, at least for me, is an overwhelming sense of tiredness. I find myself far less tired when talking to people face to face than when concentrating using video facilities. Let me end by returning to the issues of GRIP and the UK government. It's noticeable here that there is enormous criticism of the government on the issues of testing. And there may be some real truths in that. On the other hand, this is an incredibly fast-moving pandemic, something that people have not been able to prepare enormously for. Perhaps there's a fault there. But there is a sense in which we expect our governments to behave in an efficient and focused way, and we often expect them to get things right first time. That might be a very unreasonable expectation when we're dealing with such a fast-moving set of events. And there is a laudable sense in which this government does seem to be pulling together and remaining focused. And that's a sense of real relief for me. I'm not a defender of this government, but I do know from having worked as a civil servant how complex dealing with very fast-moving issues can be. We don't always get things right. The important thing for me is that people learn lessons quickly and then correct the mistakes they may have made. It's also noticeable that the government relies very heavily on scientific advice. And one thing that has emerged is large-scale differences between scientists about what's right and wrong. The danger is that we believe science has absolute answers, when of course, like everything else in life, these are all nuanced judgments. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I hope that you'll listen to the next podcast in the not-too-distant future.